Amen. Well, hello, church. Open to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Um, can't, I love how you say the hour of preaching because it gives me permission to go an hour with expectations. And then if I go short, everybody's happy and feels blessed. And, um, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read, we're going to look at two passages here and. Um, We'll read the first one in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you also. You'd go to chapter 3. We'll pick up in the middle of this, but... Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Father, Lord, this is Your Word. My opinions never matter. And they certainly don't matter when it comes to motherhood. But Lord, Your Word is authoritative and every mother would be wise to submit themselves to it. And every mother would be wise to be encouraged by it. And so Father, we pray for a submission to Your Word today. And we pray for an encouragement in and through Your Word today, especially in the mothers. And Lord, I pray for also the children here that they would learn to honor their mothers and be grateful for their mothers. And Lord, we pray for the men here, Lord, that we could affirm and celebrate and honor the the qualities that are most commendable about these women. And so Lord, give us all wisdom in and through this today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I uh, I want to talk about mothers, and I, I don't know, I don't feel obligated to preach on motherhood on Mother's Day. Uh, sometimes I do. I think I've only done it two or three times over the years, but felt uh, particularly burdened. Uh, wanted to encourage those of you here who are mothers, and wanted to challenge mothers, and both of those things. Because if I just try to encourage you. A lot of you mothers really want to make progress and get better in motherhood, and if I just encourage you, you may not get the help you need to make the progress you desire. Uh, But if I only challenge you, then you might leave discouraged. And so I hope you're encouraged and you're challenged uh, this morning. Uh, I want to first, though, honor mothers and and say a word about honor, uh, because God does. And He says explicitly in Scripture, honor 
your mother, which is certainly for children, uh, but also even for us as adults. We are, that command never goes away. Uh, we are to continue to honor our mother. And it, that is, I guess, if we want to live long, because that command comes with a promise, many of you know. It says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live long. And so if you want a long life, there is a promise with this command. And so it, it should be taken seriously by all of us. And I think the mark of a society is not um, how tall our buildings are, how good our medical facilities or our technology But the mark of a society is in how we honor our mothers. And then how those mothers train and raise their children. And it can be said also that the mark of an individual that that really demonstrates their character is how well do you honor your mom? You know, I was thinking this week, maybe most powerfully out of all this, what impacted me was Christ on the cross. He's hanging there and He's thinking about His mother. He looked down and saw his best friend John, who I I, I guess didn't have a a mom alive at that time. Uh, And then he sees his own mother from a distance and he says, John, behold your mother. And then says to his mother, behold your son. And he cares for his mom in his dying moment. And it, it just, I mean, let that sink in. Jesus on the cross, out of all the things he could be thinking about, he actually thought about his mom. That's amazing. And, and I don't want to hear anybody talk about, oh, I just want to be Christ-like if you don't care about honoring your mother. Don't talk to me about Christ-likeness if you can't honor your mom. This is what Christ did. This is what Christ-likeness looks like toward our mothers. And you go, well, you don't know my mom. It doesn't matter. It doesn't say honor your mom if she does this or doesn't do this. It just says honor your mother, period. And even the worst mothers, I don't know somebody in this room who may, you say, my mother's probably the worst. She deserves honor. She deserves honor. And maybe not even so much for all the things that she did, but for who she is. She is the one who bore life to you and brought life to you. There's not a person alive in this room or in this world who is not alive today because their mother carried that person in their own body and brought them into this world. And you think about how long... 40 is a symbolic number in Scripture, right? 40 years... Uh, Israel was in the wilderness 40 days. Christ was in the wilderness fasting and praying. And how long does a baby, generally speaking, stay in the womb of a mother? 40 weeks. Carried. This is a time of testing, certainly for that mother, before the excruciating pain of, of, being, of bringing that baby into life and then the sleepless nights trying to care for that child. And then how many years does she give her of her life to caring for this child? And what type of person are you if you don't honor that woman? That doesn't so much speak of the imperfections of that mom, but of your inability to see what is commendable and praiseworthy in her. We are to honor our mothers. 
And, you know, I, I understand that we live in a day that there's a lot of confusion surrounding womanhood in general, right? And there's a lot of pastors and Christians and they'll get up and they'll stand in a setting like this and they'll mock the ignorance of the culture and maybe what happened recently with the woman uh, was judge was asked to define a woman and she said, I can't, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a biologist. And we can mock that stuff all we want. I'd be curious to know how many Christians can open the Bible and say, this is what a woman is. This is the verse and the chapter. Here's what it says a woman is. You know, can we, can, as Christians, we, we should be very careful how judgmental we are toward those who've never even read this book, have no objective standard of truth. We do. Can we open to Genesis 1, 2, 3 and say this is who a woman is and she's not a man. And here's her relationship to a man. Can we open to Ephesians chapter 5 and say this is the role of a wife? Can we open to 1 Peter 3 and talk about true femininity and beauty as God defines it for a woman that's distinct from a man? Can we open to Proverbs 31? And any of these other passages that talk about a woman, Titus 2, talk about a woman as a keeper of her home, a mother, a, care, a caretaker for her children, and, and, and give some sort of biblical teaching on that. And I, I would say it's not only mothers who should, or women who should be able to do that. Every man in this room who's a, who's a Christian should be able to do that. And if you have a wife and if you have a mother in your home and you're responsible, you should be able to know what her job description is. And those of you who are single guys, like, what are you looking for in a wife? You should know what a biblical wife's role and responsibilities are. These are things that we need to be very familiar with. And I will say, I don't teach on womanhood as much as is needed to be taught on it because I don't think that's my role. Uh, Titus 2 is very clear that older women should be teaching younger women how to love their husbands and train up their children. And so uh, every once in a while I want to get up here and say a few things, but most of the teaching in the local church should be older women teaching younger women on things related to womanhood that are particular to womanhood. But my uh, goal this morning is not to talk about womanhood in general. I want to talk about motherhood. This is, this is hard for some of you because you know, you don't need me to tell you how much of a treasure your mother is. You know that. And this is a difficult day for you because maybe you've lost a mother. Some of you know how precious a mother is and you grieve what your mother was not. Some of you are mothers and you've lost children or you want children and have not been able to have them. There's so many reasons why this is such a weighty uh, day for, for many women. And I think what it just shows us is deep down all of us understand that mothers matter. And I want to say to those of you ladies with children, motherhood is your calling. It's not your life. Christ is your life. But in your service to Christ, there is nothing more important than your love for your husband and for your children. It is your calling. 
It is a high, high calling. I want to try to, by the grace of God, exalt that calling as high as the Bible exalts that calling. And I want to do it under this title, The Sincere Faith of Godly Mothers. The Sincere Faith of Godly Mothers. And and just a few observations. I'll give three observations from 2 Timothy uh, this morning. Here's the first observation. Godly mothers remind us that Christianity is is an ancestral faith. What do I mean by that? Um, Well, at a base level, that mothers are very influential. More so than we probably realize. And science is actually catching up with the wisdom of Scripture on this point. Uh, That brain scans are being done on children to suggest that they prefer and respond to mothers' voices uh, far more than any other voice. A 2020 study published in the Journal of Neuroimage found that after scanning the brains of mothers and children, uh, if the emotional state of the mother was positive, the brain became connected to to the child's brain in such a way that they concluded after the study, this is probably works like this so that that child is more receptive to the mother's teaching. 2012 study came out that school-aged children with positive support from their mothers had larger hippocampus, okay, that's part of the brain that uh, helps memory, that helps uh, retention, learning. Uh, that, that part of the brain was more formed and larger in children that had uh, present mothers, intentional, helpful mothers than children who did not. And we know this. I mean, we can just look at history, right? And we see people like George Washington had a very intentional, good mother. Uh, there are people like Sir Walter Scott's mother, uh, loved culture and all of these things and imparted that on him and he did all of these things. But then you, you see someone like Emperor Nero, whose mother was murderous. Insignificant? Mm, coincidence? No. Right? We know many evil dictators, many evil men had evil mothers. And influence of a mother matters. And so what I mean by Christianity is ancestral is that you... Or let me say what I don't mean. I don't mean that, you get, that a child gets their faith from their mom. As if you could just pass it on like that. Automatically. That's not how... Christianity works. Ephesians 2 says faith is a gift of God, not a result of works. We know Jesus in John 10 uh, said that faith is not of blood, that is not of an ancestral descent, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you can't enter the kingdom of God except you be born again. Okay, so we know faith can't be transferred from a mother in that way. It is, a, it, it is an act of the Spirit and the will of the Spirit. Here's what I mean though. Christianity is ideally passed on through the home. Ideally. This doesn't downplay the importance of international missions. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I would rather my kids get saved in our living room at the dinner table having family devotions at five or six years old than, you know, 45 years old after a hard life of sin when they finally get converted. I think all of us would rather have the first, right? Um, We want the faith to be passed on from one generation to the next. That's the ideal. That's that's how we want Christianity to move forward. Um, 
I mentioned a few weeks ago the importance of a godly father in this, on this point. Uh, Psalms 128.3 says, Your wife will be like a, a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So that doesn't mean that a man who fears God is going to, all his children are automatically going to be saved, but it does mean those children are blessed if that man fears the Lord. And I think this is what Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians 7.14 when it says the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. What does that mean? It means that a child that grows up with even one parent that fears the Lord in that home is set apart in a way from the sins and the lies and the darkness of the culture. They're exposed to the light and to the truth and to the gospel in ways that some kid with two non-believing parents is not exposed. They're set apart. They're made holy in that regard. Doesn't mean they're automatically saved. It does mean the likelihood for them being saved, I think, is higher. Look at, even Paul acknowledges this reality. 2 Timothy 1.3, the passage I just read, he says, I thank my God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. As did my ancestors. So Paul's thinking about Timothy. He's writing this letter to Timothy, and he remembers, oh man, Timothy's faith, it's strong. He, he begins to think of the strength of Timothy's faith, this young man, and then he remembers Timothy's mother. And he says, the sincere faith of Timothy, uh, his mom had something to do with that. And then he remembers his mom, and then he remembers the grandmother that I believe taught the mom something that was then passed on to Timothy. And then Paul goes, oh, and my ancestors. I serve the Lord as did my ancestors. And he's remembering the influence. I don't think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. He's not thinking of the patriarchs. When he says his ancestors, I think he's thinking of his immediate family. Something is really lost, guys, when, one, when a child grows up and they don't have at least one parent in the home who fears the Lord. Something is really lost. I mean, if, you, if you, any of you here, if you grew up with, and one of your parents truly walked with the Lord, you are blessed. And if two of your parents walked with the Lord, you're privileged. We talk a lot about privilege in our day, don't we? If you're born into a certain socioeconomic uh, status, if you're born into a certain race, you know, you're privileged. Why doesn't anybody talk about the privilege of being born into a home with two God-fearing parents? There, I don't know of any place of privilege more for a child to be brought into the world in that context. It is massive. And Timothy only had one believing parent, his mother Eunice. Look back at 2 Timothy 1.5, I'm reminded of the sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. You say, where's Timothy's father? Well, we actually know about Timothy's father from Acts 16.1. It says, Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. There he is. 
the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. You think all the Jews were lost? Oh no. His mom was not lost. She was a believer. She had faith in the coming Messiah. But his father was a Greek. His father was not converted. says it right there in the text. And here's what I would encourage those of you women here who maybe you're in a marriage where the, the husband isn't leading as he should or he isn't even a believer. Look at Timothy's mother. She has sincere faith. She's honoring the Lord regardless of whether her husband is or not. And that's an encouragement. That, that's a real encouragement that God Himself commends this woman even though her husband's not in the picture spiritually. And commends her on well how she led her son. I'm thankful for so many things that my parents did for me. Honestly, I'm not thankful for any of that in comparison to them exposing me to the Scriptures at an early age. That is by far, I'm more thankful for that than anything they ever gave me or did for me. You know, um, I was thinking this week, meditating on this, how uh, <laughs> if we go on a vacation, uh, we, I, I can't just put my feet up at, uh, around the pool and on a Sunday morning and just kind of relax on a, on a Lord's Day. Like we're finding a church wherever we're at to worship with. And I, that's my conviction, but I would be foolish to think that my parents had nothing to do with that when they brought us to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, when, every Wednesday night, for me to go, oh, well, that's just my conviction. Uh, no. That, that has something. Now, I wasn't converted at that time. I didn't care to be there, but it formed my conscience. It did something to me. And it does something to our children when there's that priority. Somebody said to me uh, once after a, a service, they were a visitor, and they, were, uh, they said, I heard you quote Scripture. You must have memorized a lot of Scripture as a young person. I was like, a little bit. But when I got saved, it all came back. I, could care, I didn't even remember it when I was a teenager, but it came back. So observation one, Christianity is ancestral. Godly mothers matter. Here's the second observation. Godly mothers seek to pass on sincere faith to their children. Again, 2 Timothy 1.5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. And, and so ladies, I want to say godly motherhood is not first something you do. It's something you are. You, you must, you must be a woman of sincere faith. Which means it's not a false faith. It's not a Sunday only faith. It's genuine. Not perfect but genuine, real. Mothers don't need a perfect faith. They need a, a sincere, humble, God-honoring faith. 
And this is why I don't think the Bible gives you uh, all these little practical tips for motherhood, you know? I don't know if you've ever combed the Scriptures and just, give me some advice here, give me some tips. You just want some little practical thing. You're not going to find that. Why? Because that's not what makes a godly mother. Godly mothers are made of sincere faith. Sincere faith is what a godly mother needs, not a few more tips. And you say, well, why does she need sincere faith? Because her kids are watching her more than they're listening to her. They watch. They listen. Are they, does my mom always complain? Is she just always whining and complaining about something? Or is she thankful? Right? What, what is the attitude of my mom? How does she approach life and trials and difficulties? Does she find strength in the Lord? What does she treasure most? Our children are watching and therefore we must be something before we do something. You say, but godly mothers, they do stuff. Yes, but it's an overflow of their love for Christ. It's an overflow of their sincere faith. That's why when they do come across passages of Scripture like, you know, you're reading through Proverbs, Proverbs 13, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. They can't just ignore that. They can't ignore Proverbs 3.12 that says, because the Lord reproves the one He loves as a father or mother, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 22.15 Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from them. A woman of sincere faith can't look at those and go, I discipline, you know, I love my kids too much. A woman of sincere faith goes, I love my kids so much, I do discipline. Because that's what the Word of God says. And a sincere faith trusts in the Word of God beyond their own feelings or their own experiences or how they were raised or weren't raised. It holds more weight. Look behind the Augustines and you'll find his mother Monica. Look behind Spurgeon and you'll find his mother Eliza. Look behind Hudson Taylor and you'll find his mother Amelia. These women earnestly, not just disciplining, but praying, for their children, for the souls of their children. You know, I was thinking about Hannah in First First uh, Samuel, but had no children. It says because the Lord closed her womb, and she would go out and she would pray and she would fast. Oh God, please give me a child. And then God finally opened her womb and gave her a child. And what did she do? yours, Lord. You give. And so once the child was weaned, she gave it over to the Lord. You know, grandmothers, um, there's so much. I wanted to do a full sermon on grandmothers. Maybe one day I can do that. But, um, you know, I, I don't know what it's obviously what it's like to be a grandmother, but listening to some of you, uh, one of the one of the most painful parts of being a grandmother, from what I hear, is how little time you get to spend with your grandchildren. And, you know, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my own grandmother. They lived across the country. Um, But when I did see her, she was a woman of few words. I mean, she talked a lot, but in terms of, to me, she didn't really know what to say. 
And I didn't, I didn't get that when I was younger, but when I got older, I realized, man, she has a lot of wisdom, but she just doesn't know how to give it to me. She doesn't know what to say. And, um, but she knew how to pray. And my mom, last week, just randomly sent me some screenshots of my grandmother's journal articles from years and years ago, from maybe at least ten, at least ten years ago, and my grandmother was praying every day for quote the cross church. Every day, my grandmother sitting there in Texas, on her knees, five a.m. like clockwork, praying for our church. And then she, there was one of the journal articles that had John Mark that the Holy Spirit fall upon him in power in his preaching. I had no idea that she prayed anything like that for me. I tell you, I don't, my, I don't need anything from my grandmother. Give me that prayer. Right, that's the greatest thing she could have ever done for me. Is to pray for me like that? Some of you grandmothers, I mean, I get why that could be discouraging, but think of the power of these prayers you can pray. And that God would actually answer those prayers. And there are just so many things that are important for mothers and for grandmothers, but the thing that I see emphasized here in Scripture is that, and back to the mothers for a moment, the mother's teaching. The mother's teaching. Proverbs 6.20, My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. And what's interesting about that passage in Proverbs 6 is that it's in the context of a bunch of sexual sin. So you have the father warning his son in chapter 5 and in chapter 7 and in chapter 6 about the adulterous woman. So fathers, we take the lead on that conversation. And I think the mother needs to have that conversation in discreet ways. Maybe just showing examples from Scripture on what purity and honoring your spouse looks like. But the mother did teach. And would the church not be more pure in our day? if not only fathers taught purity, but mothers as well. The teaching of a mother is no small formative thing in a child. I just want to say to you, this is my third, third and final point uh, in terms of an observation here, that mother's teaching matters. It really matters. I know many of you women, you're so com- you really believe that the preached Word is beneficial to your children. So you get up on Sundays and you get here, and even when we're meeting on Sunday night, you do the Sunday evening thing for two years because y'all believe the preach toward is important. You get your kids together, y'all go to city group every week. Even those of you with little ones because you know the Holy Spirit can use the preached and taught word in the church. And rightly so. Many of you are convinced of it's your husband's leadership, and so you're encouraged when he leads, you're discouraged when he isn't teaching and leading because you know his voice matters. Many of you have strong convictions even with the education that your children get. And so you're looking for ways that all of their teaching, even at an academic, in an academic way, could be God-centered with a God-centered worldview. Amen, amen, amen. But How significant a place does your teaching play in your child's life? Your voice matters. It it, it really matters. As I was thinking about this point, what, what might hinder a mother 
from feeling the burden to, to teach and to speak into her children's life. And I thought, well, maybe uh, it's just forgetfulness regarding the problem. Maybe many mothers just forget the problem. Um, and so let me say, so I want to say this very gently, uh, as respectfully as possible. I know a big fear in mothers is, I don't want to ruin my children. You already have. You say, when did I ruin my children? Labor and delivery. You brought them into this world, into sin, into death. What did the psalmist say in Psalms 51? I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. Leave the fear of ruining your kids behind. That happened already. Now what is your role? To teach them about the One who can deal with their sin. To teach them about the only One who can remove their sin. You see the power of that? And, and the husband is guilty too, okay? He, he helped ruin the kids too. We both must put Christ before our children. Because we brought the sin nature upon them. But God in His mercy gives us a place to be able to influence them for years and sit with them and not just bring them to church on Sundays, but every day of the week have family devotions. I know that feels like a religious, burdensome thing for many of you, but maybe if we remember sin and a Savior, the burden lightens a little bit. And we see this matters. This matters. And I think it will help us also to be more compassionate and patient with our children who are very slow to learn obedience. I'm not saying in any of this, ladies, that all you do to be a good mom is just have Bible studies with your kids. Okay, Please don't hear everything I'm not saying diminishing hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of unseen things that you do for your kids. But I do want to point out, you don't do those things like other women of the world. You don't care about doctor's appointments and bedtimes and sleep schedules the way the world does. Those things are a means to an end. They're all, the world does all these things and cares about all these things. Why? I want a healthy, happy kid who grows up to be a healthy, happy adult. That's not the vision of a godly mother. The vision of a godly mother is to care about all the things that a mother should care about. Why? So that her child worships the God who made them. Our aim is different. It's completely different. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Go to chapter 3 for a moment. Look at verse 14. He says, as for you, this is Timothy, Paul speaking to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. I think that's his mother. And from how, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So a, a mother's, uh, a godly mother with sincere faith does many things that require self-denial. Why? Yes, to keep your child alive. 
Yes, to sustain their life, but so that that can happen. They could be acquainted with the sacred writings that are able, not automatic, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And, and those of you with adult children, because you're a godly mother with sincere faith, you don't lose heart praying that the seeds planted and the, the acquaintance you gave your child from an early age could still bring forth the fruit of salvation in their adult years. I just I hope you remember that as you continue to pray for those children you poured into for years who you wonder if they're believers. It says that it is able, the Scriptures are able to make one wise for salvation. What? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So, teaching of mothers has, I think, two aims here. Verse 15, you teach them so that they might become what? Wise for salvation. And then you teach them, verse 17, so that they might become the man of God, competent and equipped for every good work. So we're not just aiming that they get to heaven and their souls be saved. Absolutely, ultimate priority. But we want this child, as long as they live on this earth, to be competent and equipped for every good work. And a bunch of the role of motherhood right there. A bunch of the labor of motherhood that this child be competent and equipped for every good work. Mentally. Physically. Everything they need to do God's will. And look, look, I know there are so many voices out there inside and outside the church that are saying to women, if you're going to really apply yourself to motherhood, go all in to be a godly mom. You don't need an education. You don't need to be intelligent. You don't need a brain. Alright, that's, that's what the feminists are saying. Being a mother is brainless, menial occupation. Uneducated women should not demean themselves to do such menial tasks. Don't waste your intellect on household chores and kids. That's the feminist lie. There is another flip side to that. The ultra-conservatives, is what I'll call them, essentially grant that lie and say the same thing. That a mom is just doing menial household chores. They're just raising their kids. They don't need to be educated unless maybe the husband dies and they got to go to college and then they got to support the family. So it's good to get a college education in case the husband's not around anymore. That's the same exact lie as the feminists. It's very insulting to women. It's very unbiblical. Women need brains. Women need high intelligence. Women should be theologians biblically, I believe. I mean, unless you're just going to put them in front of the TV all day and do nothing, and then maybe you don't need a brain. But if you want to raise them well, right? If you want to really do this in a way that honors the Lord, the... All of the mental faculties, all of the strength that God provides is required. And, and I'm not even talking about husbands, because we could go a whole... 
right? That's how it starts at the beginning. God creates a man and says he's alone. He's going to need a helper fit for him, which isn't an insult to the woman so much as the man who needs a helper. <laughs> I, I've, seen, I've seen young men get married and I'm like, I feel for this woman, you know? <laughs> I don't know how this is going to go. But that woman, over the months, over the years, made something of that guy. Not through her nagging and, and insubordinate manipulative tactics, but wisely, patiently, faithfully, ten years down the road, you're like, this, this boy that I was concerned about is a godly man, and that woman had a huge part of that. And then I've seen the opposite where I thought, man, this guy, who knows what the Lord's going to use him for? Look at all this potential. And then he marries this insubordinate, nagging, difficult woman. And you wonder, what happened? Guys, I, 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 the influence of a woman matters massively. Please don't ever let anyone far, far right, far, far left, whatever extreme views of this, tell you that a woman can be anything less than wise. Uh, Winston Churchill, there's a funny story I heard once. I don't remember where I heard this. But there was a, uh, I guess a homeless man on the side of the street and he's walking with his wife and I, I, I think that either... He recognized, Winston Churchill recognized this man from childhood or from, uh, from school or something like that. And he says to his wife, uh, what if you would have married him? And then, Winston, or then uh, Winston Churchill's wife said, well, then he would have been the prime minister. <laughs> uh, let me close and, and say a last few things here. Um, Ladies, I know you're weighed down. There's wrong ways to be weighed down by motherhood and there's right ways. Right? There's, you can burden yourself with many things the Lord hasn't told you to be burdened with. And I would really hope that you would not do that to yourself. Because there are many things that you should be burdened with. Because motherhood is just hard. It's hard. And it's supposed to be hard. You're not supposed to go to bed and be like, this is just an easy day. Alright? It's supposed to be hard every day. Especially when you got the little ones. So it's, it, that's a right thing. It's same for a man. I always say to the men, man, life's hard right now. Good. Should be. If we're working hard, if we're doing what the Lord's called us to, it's difficult. Martin Lloyd-Jones once spoke to a group of medical students who were complaining about how difficult medical school was. And they're like, we can't... We don't get much time in the Word because we're so busy with medical school. And, you know, they call Martin Lloyd-Jones the doctor for a reason because he was really a medical doctor. Um, and he said to them, uh, you do what you want to do. Your medical school is no excuse. I've been to medical school. He said, but there is one exception. A mother with young children. She may have a legitimate excuse that she doesn't have the time to always devote herself to the things of the Lord as she would want. It's very difficult. 
It's very difficult. I hope you're not discouraged. I'll say one last thing. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, to let him close us on this. Um, There was a a mother who came to him very distressed because apparently she had gone to some sort of conference or lecture where there was a woman who had taught on, uh, the topic was something like how to raise up children that are Christians. And this woman went on talking about how by 9 a.m., She had her home so ordered that by 9 a.m. all the domestic duties were done and she gave the rest of her day to Christian activities with the the kids. And all these kids were Christian. She had six or seven kids and and, and it was all wonderful and it was all easy. And, And this woman went to this seminar and was obviously discouraged. And she only had two kids and she felt overwhelmed. And so uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said to this woman, well, how old were this woman's kids? And they found out the information. I guess they were the oldest was 16. And Lloyd-Jones said, give it a few years. And we'll see if all those kids are Christians. And then fast forward a few years and it happens that one of them might have been a Christian. The others had fallen away, had denied Christianity altogether. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said to the woman, Christianity is not mechanical. You don't just put in the right formula and then get this result. And guys, some of y'all know this because you can raise your children and do all the things the Lord's told you to do and the result doesn't end up being every one of them is saved. And then some people are negligent on so many things God's called them to, and many of their kids are walking with the Lord. Why? Well, because salvation is of grace. Our kids aren't automatically saved because we're good parents. They aren't automatically godly because of that. So much more to say. Um, Let me, just lastly, we were praying uh, up in the, the prayer time a minute ago, over Colossians 3. And this verse jumped out at me, Colossians 3.23, because even if, even if nothing else that you want to happen for your kids that's good happens, you still have this verse. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men or children, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Motherhood is service to Jesus. That's what it is. And it's an awesome, awesome calling. Let me pray for you, ladies. Father, Lord, Your Word, it is weighty, Father, because it is difficult and obedience to Your Word always requires some measure of self-denial. And it's difficult, Lord, for any of us to deny self, especially when it requires self-denial almost all the time as a mother. And so, Father, we, we, we just pray for the moms in this room, Lord. Strengthen them by Your Spirit. Strengthen them by the grace that is in Your Son supernaturally that they would not lose heart. Pray for the adult children, 
that these mothers have raised, Lord, that they would not be discouraged by where their children are in life, but they would, not, but they would keep praying. They would keep crying out for their souls. That they would keep loving them. Father, we pray for those with younger children. Father, give stamina, give strength, give wisdom. Be with them in this work, Lord. And we pray that You would help them. And Father, help those of us who are not mothers to honor these mothers. And not just today, but Lord, week after week, month after month, that we would honor the work that they do. And we thank You for the work that they do. And we pray Your blessings on it. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.